Hello everyone, welcome to Sabbath School Gems, where each week we showcase key concepts from this week's Seventh-day Adventist Sabbath School lesson. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Sabbath School Gems. This is lesson 12 for the third quarter for Sabbath, September 18, 2021, and it's called The Restless Prophet from the Quarterly Rest in Christ. And the big gemstone in this one is the story of Jonah. So that's what we're going to be looking into. And um, just to to begin with, I think some people think of the story of Jonah as uh, kind of like a, a very unbelievable tale. You know, it's this wild idea that this big fish swallows this man. And um, it sounds unbelievable. And I don't really agree with that. I think that to me, it's very believable that this could happen. And I mean, there are some things in the Bible that are a little bit more difficult for me to comprehend like the sundial like time staying still or the sundial going backwards. That's a little bit tricky um, for me to grasp, but a big fish um, taking a man and spitting him out on dry ground, it, it's not that unbelievable. I mean, first of all, we have large fish today. They might've even been even larger back then, but we have large whales that are capable of getting a man and, and most of those large whales are not do not eat fish um they eat plankton and things so it would be conceivable that they could ingest a man and then end up spitting him out um, without hurting him um, because they're not typically eating large fish or fish the size of a man and you know those creatures are pretty intelligent in fact there's um there's one story that my da- dad told me he was in the Navy during World War II. And I don't know if this was someone that he knew would knew or if this was a story that was floating around. But the story was um, that a serviceman, and I'm not sure if he was in the Air Force or if he was in the Navy, somehow he ended up in the ocean. And he um, was kind of in bad shape. I don't know if he was knocked unconscious for a while or what. But when he came to this porpoise or dolphin, and depending upon where he was and what they call him, um, but it was um, coming up underneath him and it would just be bumping into him and it was dragging him from the underneath um, to shore. And it actually ended up getting him to shore. Now, he was in pretty bad shape. He had a bunch of broken ribs and lots of internal bruising and, and stuff, but he was alive. He survived. I, he probably wouldn't have survived if that dolphin didn't get him there. And um, so that's the story. Now, these animals, dolphins and whales, very intelligent animals, and they breathe air like we do. So they kind of understand um, things like that. And um, they also, like a lot of animals, listen to God. I think, you know, these whales are in these big pods and they travel really long distances in the ocean. And they, they have different patterns it's not always the same exact thing um, how they migrate and how they find their food and I think a lot of these animals are in tune with God and he helps them find food survive and so the question really here I think it's not this unbelievable story actually um, just this year and I think in June there was another story about a guy named Michael Packard, and he was a lobster fisherman up in Cape Cod, and he was diving once, and he got he got swallowed by a or not swallowed, but 
um, a whale ingested him and it spit him out right away. I think he was only there for like 40 seconds, which probably felt like eternity to him because he really did think he wasn't going to survive. He did have his, um, you know, he did have oxygen with him, but um, he's wondering like, what is this just how I'm going to die? I'm just going to be here till my oxygen runs out. But um, like I said, it, it spit it out right away. And then his co-workers and stuff were able to to pull him out and and he was okay he had a little bit of damage but not too bad that happened and he was in there and of course Jonah didn't have oxygen he had to be in a position where he could breathe but I'm just saying it the, the it's not so far-fetched but the real question to me is who was listening to God more was it the fish or was it Jonah the prophet so um, I think that's what we're going to explore in this story. So let's just start out with the story. Um, And we're in Jonah 1.1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. And then the mariners were afraid. Every man cried out to his God through the cargo that was in the ship to the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship, had laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, sleep or arise? Call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Well, they had already, they had already um, kind of knew. I mean, it was, I think Jonah had already mentioned to them that he was fleeing from his God, so they kind of already knew that. And just the fact that he was the only one that wasn't afraid. Now, what was he thinking? Was he um, thinking... I mean, was he kind of suicidal? And he was thinking, hey, you know, if God kills me by this, well, then at least I don't have to do what he wants me to do. I mean, it was obvious that he had the word to go to Nineveh, that God told him to do that, to cry out against their city, um, and he did not want to do it. Now, we don't know exactly why. There's some things in the lesson that, that talk about maybe, you know, just kind of a... A hatred for those people and some kind of, um, you know, bad treatment that that went on. So some kind of historical context of those people. But we know that he didn't want to go um, for whatever reason because he was afraid for his life. Perhaps I mean, there's other prophets like that, like Elijah. Elijah. Um, you know, there's been prophets that have been following God's word and. doing his work but still afraid for their own life um maybe he didn't um think it was a worthwhile cause or didn't want to be associated with them either repenting or them coming out against him Uh, it was just a very distasteful i think assignment for him and he did not want to do it so these men they kind of suspected anyway i think that him being the only one who was seemed to be calm, that there was something up there. So yeah, they cast lots and they figured it was fell on him. And I mean, you know the story that, you know, they said, 
what what are you gonna who are you where are you going well i'm fleeing from my god i'm a hebrew um and then they said well what what do we need to do and he said well throw me into the sea and then the sea will be calm and you know you think wow that's being pretty honest there i mean he's not afraid to tell him even though it's his sure demise to be thrown into the sea and especially when it was that tempestuous but um we see maybe his honesty as a prophet um and also maybe still some kind of uh you know and this suicidal attitude there it's like well you know if god wants to kill me at least i don't have to go on this mission i mean it it's really clear that he did not want to go on this he would probably rather die in a storm or at sea so um the other thing he could have thought that maybe they didn't even uh you know maybe they weren't really going to throw him overboard which is also plausible because they didn't at first you know at first they're like no and you know i mean did, did they believe in the same god they're, i think they were weighing do we throw him overboard and displease you know maybe even his god even more or do we displease our god and you know um they didn't want to be responsible with blood on their hands um, but because the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them, it says, therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea caused, ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. You know, it's interesting how... God works through these prophets and sometimes even in their disobedience, even, you know, the prophet that was trying to, wanted to pronounce a curse against the children of Israel but couldn't do it. Um, sometimes God works through these prophets and they become even maybe a greater witness. I mean, in this case, he, he was a witness to all those people on the ship and probably all their families and all the people that they would tell the story to. I mean, here they were almost dead men and they survived. And um, I think that was a very impactful thing for them. So here they are worshiping, fearing the Lord, offering a sacrifice to the Lord. And um, so he's converting everyone on the ship. And like I said, these prophets sometimes they don't always obey god like that one prophet who kind of you know was told not to go back the way you came don't stop don't eat and then the, the other prophet lied to him and said oh no god said you can you can come have dinner with me you know and and then of course he got mauled to death by the lion but well he wasn't really mauled he just killed him and there he was with the with the donkey and the lion standing by the man who was the prophet who was dead. And um, if that's not a sight <laughs> to see, that's, uh, I think that impacted a lot of people. So anyway, and then the story goes on, and the story of that prophet anyway is reaches more people. So bottom line is I think people, these prophets, God is able to use them even if it's not the exact way that he intended for them.
So now we're in Jonah and he gets thrown overboard and the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And the fish was probably a whale. I mean, it doesn't say, just a fish, but kind of matches the description. And so Jonah prayed from the to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Now, this is something that I recognize for the first time. I never realized this. And I guess I could ask you as my audience, um, what does he pray? What does he pray from this fish's belly? I mean, I always thought that, of course, he's praying for God to help him. I mean, he's in this fish. He's he's in this ocean, and now he got swallowed by a fish. And um, that's what I always thought. But this last time I read it, that's not what he prays for. What does he pray for? It says, and he says, I cried out cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me all your billows and your waves passed over me then I said I have been cast out of your sight yet I will look again toward your holy temple the water surrounded me even to my soul the deep closed around me weeds were wrapped around my head I went down to the moorings of the mountain the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake his own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So what is Jonah crying out? He's not crying out for the Lord because of his affliction. Once he's in the fish's belly, he's actually crying out with a voice of thanksgiving. He is already realizing that he was saved because when he got thrown overboard, that's when he was crying out. That's when the floods were surrounding him and the waves were passing over him and the deep was closing around him, and weeds were wrapped around his head, and he was going down to the moorings of the mountains. I mean, this is when he realized, okay, I'm a dead man. They threw me overboard. That's it. I mean, I don't know, you know, sometimes it's easy to picture, like, okay, getting thrown into a warm swimming pool. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I can swim. I can survive. But, you know, when you're in the temp, you know, you're in a, a, a sea that's raging. And I mean, just the temperature alone um, can do you in. I mean, depending upon what time of the year it was and how cold the water was, but just the temperature alone can kill you. And then a lot of people, when they get thrown overboard, I mean, even really, really good swimmers, what happens if you, if you ingest any water at all in your lungs, it can just sink you. You just sink like a rock. Um, not only do you not breathe, but your lungs kind of keep you buoyant. So if you've got water in them, boom, you just sink. So a lot of people fall over boats and they disappear. So, um, you know, that is, sounds like this is when he gets into the fish, I think he's realizing that he has been saved by God. I mean, this is a miraculous thing. He, he was in 
the ocean. He was going to die. He was going down and all these weeds. I mean, he was going to die. And this fish sweeps him up. And all of a sudden, he can breathe. And he's probably traveling at some speed. <laughs> you know, the fish is probably traveling toward the land or whatever's happening. But he's able to, to pray this prayer in the fish. And he's thanking God. He's already realizing that the Lord saved him. The Lord didn't have to save him. He's running from the Lord. He's trying to flee from him. And yet he's thanking God. And I think this is important because I know, I mean, I'm kind of an example of this, but, you know, sometimes we pray to God and we ask him for things, but we don't always thank him when he answers us. And, you know, I have this one incident where I was praying with a friend of mine and we were praying for something specific, something about our our work, our schooling and things. And, and these opportunities just opened up like almost miraculously. I mean, not almost, they were miraculously. They just, these opportunities, these breakthroughs is, you know, um, just opened up for both of us, different types of things at different times. I think they were only about a week apart though. And, you know, everything happened so seamlessly. It's like, you think, oh, okay, this is just happening because I was thinking about this. I was striving for this or whatever. And then we look back at it. I mean, you know, at the time it just seemed so natural. But then we look back at it and we're like, wait, that just, it happened right after we prayed. And it was so miraculous. And it happened for both of us in a short period of time. I mean, it was obvious. It was obvious that God had heard our prayer and answered it. And yet, even then, because it's so obvious, it's so quick and so miraculous, and we still didn't see it right away. You still kind of look back and then you're like, whoa, like that really was an answer to prayer. But at the time, I don't know what it is. I think we just want to keep moving on in life and we just think, well, things happen. And and so, you know, well, when we realize that, <laughs> we've been praying ever since for th- thanking, thanking God, but... Um, I think it's just, it's just a natural thing. We don't always pray the prayer of Thanksgiving, but we cry out the cry for help. And you can see that this prayer, once he's in the fish's belly, it's a prayer of Thanksgiving, even though he had earlier prayed the prayer, um, for affliction. So did he know he was going to be spit out after three days? I, I don't know, but I think he really realized, okay, at that point, God had saved his life. And, um, Anyway, so I had not realized that before. I always just thought, well, he's praying that God will help him. But once he's in that fish, he kind of knows that God did something. So um, now the word of the Lord comes to Jonah the second time. This is Jonah 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach (laughs) to it the message that I tell you. Now God just saved him. Now he's saying, okay, well... uh, Remember that assignment I had for you? So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. What do you do when somebody saves your life like that? Um, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, And the word of the Lord came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, 
And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and, and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. So look at this. So Jonah goes through. He just starts going through and telling them, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And they just, they believe him right away. They believe God. They do something about it. They proclaim a fast, and they, I mean, they all do, from the greatest to the least of them. That's not easy. I mean, sometimes when things are going great in a city, you're on top. You don't want things to change. And um, they all proclaim this fast, including the king. And he even said that the, the beasts, the flocks, had to fast. Now, that's difficult for some of these herbivores that have to eat constantly or their stomach gets messed up. <laughs> Somebody said, you know, they're... I don't know, they were, um, how, how do they, uh, how, how do you get, I think, I think, I don't know if this was in the lesson or not, but somebody said, well, how do you, how do you get a, a beast to, um, you know, be in mourning and, and be in sackcloth and ashes and stuff, and I thought, well, for these animals that just are constantly eating all day, just not having access to food is, enough to cause them to have just to be in distress <laughs> so um anyway but i think it's really fitting to see that the whole town this whole city just completely repented and they turned from their ways and they cried out to god and he repented from what he was going to do and he didn't bring the disaster on him. And I think the, you know, the lesson study said something like, why is repentance such a crucial part of the Christian experience? And what does it truly mean to repent of our sins, especially the sins we commit again and again? And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, why is repentance such an, a crucial part of the Christian ex experience? Well, I think of you know, as far as a Christian experience, I think of the Catholics, they have this obsession with sin and they have like this sinning and repenting and you got to go confess to the priest and then, you know, then you sin again and then you're confessed to the priest and, you know, you're told that you're just born a sinner and, you know, you can't help this and you have to keep repent, you have to keep confessing and, um, you know, God didn't mean it that way. In fact, the sacrifices that were brought were brought when you realized that you sinned. They were sins you didn't even know you were sinning until later. And then when you found out, it's like, oh, then you brought the sacrifice. In other words, they're kind of sins of ignorance. You just didn't know. And then you, oh, oh, wow, I, I broke. Now we think of sin as, okay, well, you do something wrong and then you just ask forgiveness and then you do it wrong again. And and to me, that's, um, that's not how it's supposed to go. Repent, that very word, is 
you know, a turning from your way. It's you're actually turning from something. And how do you, if you, like if you're driving a car and you make a U-turn, um, you're not going to hit the same milestones that you would if you were just kept going straight. And if you keep hitting those same milestones all the time, then maybe you really didn't make that U-turn. And I think it's the same thing. I mean, if we have to sin and repent and sin and repent, then we, by definition, haven't really repented because repenting is a turn around. It's a turning away from. It's like a complete, like, I'm never going to go to that thing again. So, um, yeah, we might have regret for something that we did and we might feel bad for it and we might, you know, say we're sorry for it. But if we do it again, did we really repent in the sense of the word of that repent? And I just want to read in Acts 2, verse 38. It says, And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And here we see repentance and then be baptized and then there's remission of sins and then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you can see this whole cascade of things happening from that repentance. But the repentance is associated with being baptized, which we know is like being born again or, you know, being, you know, having a proclamation that you are changed and your sins are forgiven and you get the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts three nineteen, there's another. And I looked at where there's where there's repent and sins. There's not that many places in the Bible actually. Um, Acts three nineteen, it says, "Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord." So here again, very similar to the last text, repent and be converted that's just like you're being you're repenting you are completely changing really and your sins may be blotted out and then the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the lord so um we see in these texts and you know the the lessons that he had some different different texts um talking about and like in jeremiah turn from your evil deeds and your evil ways in Ezekiel, turn from your idols and revelation, repent and do the works that you did at first. So, um, but I think this whole idea of sins being committed again and again and, and, you know, asking for forgiveness each time, it's really not, I mean, it's, I guess you could call it a Christian concept, but I don't really think that's kind of the concept that, we should be thinking about. I think it's more of like in Nineveh. I mean, they're turning from their ways. They, If you really feel remorse for something, you don't want to do it again. Um, and if you do it again, then maybe you can make the argument that you didn't really feel, you, you didn't really make a turning. Um, and so I think that's something to keep in mind. So what happens to Jonah? God doesn't do that. And then we get to Jonah's reaction to it. So 
God saw their works that they turned from their evil ways and he relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he didn't do it. But Jonah 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, what not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish because I knew you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Now, therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So here you see this complete, like, worthlessness. He feels worthless. It's like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew, why didn't you just forgive these people? You know, I knew you were going to have mercy on him. Why did I have to go through all this? I knew this is what you were going to do. And it kind of, I mean, you can see this almost despair. It almost makes him feel like he he has this job that it's just distasteful no matter how it turns out. Um, you know, because if he warns them and they turn, then what was he needed for? Like, and if he doesn't warn them and they don't turn and they just get what they deserve, I don't know. It just, it, it sounds like he um, is really just demoralized, like almost like his job is just kind of a, a worthless job like it's going to happen anyway and it's so demoralizing to him that he'd rather die and the lord says is it right for you to be angry and he so he goes out of the city sits on the east side of the city and he made himself a shelter sat under it in the shade and he's going to watch what happens to the city and the lord prepared a plant and made it come up over jonah that it might shade him for his head to deliver him from his misery so God gives him a little gift there. And Jonah was grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm and it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it's right for me to be angry even to death. And the Lord said, you have had pity on that plant, which you have not labored for. You didn't make it grow. And it came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? And this is how it ends this is this this is how jonah ends with this question and you can kind of guess that jonah's maybe hopefully has a little revelation there because just as we said is the the whale the big fish um did it listen to god more and and obey god more than jonah did and here this is like jonah is really getting told by God, look, you like that plant. You have more pity on that plant than you do on the the children, uh, the people in Nineveh. And, I mean, he's kind of saying that in a sense, but he's saying, you know, shouldn't I care about these people? I mean, you don't even care about them as much as you care about that plant. And I... And you would expect me not to care about them. And we're talking about livestock and we're talking about lots of people. Um, and so I think maybe, hopefully, 
Jonah learned something, and maybe this mission trip to to um, Nineveh was also for him, so that he could learn that um, it's not all about him and everything that he wants, and you know that there's other people, and that God loves and cares for these other people too, and um, he really, it's really a call to all of us that, you know, to, to seek God and to, you know, repent, (laughs) to follow God. That's all he asks is for us to, to hear and obey his voice and he will be our God and we will be his people. Um, you know, the lesson says that they learned that, that, they learn that the only safe course for any believer is to seek to be within God's will. This is supposedly what Jonah learned. And he decided to do his duty and obey God's orders. And I thought that wording, that's, that's, I'm reading it verbatim. Um, I didn't really like that wording because it says, Jonah learned that the only safe course for any believer is to seek to be within God's will. And he just decided to do his duty and to obey God's orders. When we talk about God's will and obey God's orders, um, there's something about that, you know, we, I mean, I think that it's a very negative connotation to say God's will. When we, when we talk about God's will and then it's like, well, then our will and our wills clashing against God's will. And especially when you talk about God's orders, like he's ordering us and we have to obey him and you know, and it, it's his will versus our will. It's his orders and we're just the subjects. And, you know, that's just not accurate because, and we, we do this a lot. And I don't think, you know, the lesson authors were intending for it to sound this way. But when you think about it, it's like, why don't we ever think that we can't, why don't we realize that choosing God brings blessing? that hearing him, hearkening to his voice, trusting in him is the way to life. You know, Nineveh realized this. They reverence God enough to believe his message, to heed his warning. And, you know, and they, they feared him. They feared him in the sense that they believed he was going to do what he was going to do. And, um, and they wanted to change that outcome. And they believed that he could change the outcome too if they acted a certain way so they had faith and you know his when we think about it we have choices we should think of it as far as we have bad choices and good choices and we should be seeking wisdom for god trusting him for our sustenance and for salvation Instead of it being, you know, God is telling us this and we have to be within his will because any we're humans and humans don't like to be controlled and God is not a controlling God. He gives choice. He doesn't want to control anybody. And he just wants us to realize that he wants what's best for us. He knows what's best for us. He wants us to hear his voice. He wants to communicate with us. He wants to develop a relationship with us. He wants us to be a co- enter into a covenant with him and to trust him and so that he can protect us. And so I think it's just unfortunate that we 
sometimes use these words like God's commandments or his God's will is this and God's orders and things like that because it's really we really should think of it more as choosing God brings us blessing and life and um, hearkening to him will be life to us and will help us and I think that people the children of Nineveh realized that and hopefully Jonah realized that you know God is a loving God and he he doesn't want to destroy us he wants us to be able to hear him and follow his voice and trust him and not have to flee to Tarshish because we just think the task is just too unacceptable um, it's not going to have any outcome that we want to have a part of. Um, so hopefully Jonah learned and hopefully we can learn as well um, how we should be approaching God and how we should be seeking how to do his what he wants and to be hearing him and to be anxious to do that no matter what it looks like for us, no matter what it costs us, um, because I'm sure the people in Nineveh were humbling themselves. It wasn't easy. They were all kind of, you know, putting everything on hold and just seeking God because they knew that was their life. And we need to realize that God is our life as well. And it's also a choice. People in Nineveh didn't have to make that choice. Um, and we don't have to make a choice for God either, but I think he wants us to choose him for the right reason. And um, anyway, so that's the story, and that's the gems, and hopefully you got something new out of this. And we will resume again for next week's lesson. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sabbath School Gems. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word to others. Comments and questions can be sent to us at sabbathschoolgems at gmail.com. Bye for now.